Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And look, you know you know what we do. We have real talk in the corporate world, and we do that by centering marginalized voices so that we can actually amplify and center marginalized experiences at work, right? And so we're having these conversations with thought leaders, with educators, with writers, with executives, with entrepreneurs and social influencers and activists and elected officials, anybody, really, um, all around Again, centering and amplifying the most marginalized voices in the workplace. And so today we have a returning guest, frankly, a friend of the show. You know what I mean? Dr. Janice Gassam. Dr. Janice Gassam is an educator, puck speaker, a consultant, and uh, a senior contributor with Forbes. Dr. Gassam, how's it going? It is going well. Thank you so much, Doc. I really appreciate you amplifying my voice and consistently amplifying my work. I love that we, you know, like have built this support system. And I think that's so important that we are, as quote unquote, marginalized people, we're supporting each other. Well, I mean, it's it's not you make it very easy. You do great work and, and your work really is what needs to be centered and focused on right now. I'm really curious as uh, white folks are apparently learning what racism is for the first time. Uh, how, <laughs> how, how, how have how have your um, what, what does it look like in your field? Like, are, are you getting more requests right now? And on, last time you were on the podcast, we talked about the fact that a lot of folks would, would ask you not to talk about race. What does it look like now when you have clients reach out to you with requests? Wow, that's a great question. And things have blown up and have exploded as far as I've been getting so many requests for racial equity workshops and that's, you know, I'm partial to those workshops. Those are my favorite. But it's just so ironic because even, you know, less than a year or so ago, I would have these discovery calls with clients and, you know, who want me to come in and do a workshop or a training. And they have specifically said, do not talk about white privilege. Do not talk about race. They prefer me talking about the safe subjects like emotional intelligence, which I'm fine with talking about that, but I think that it's limiting and that if you're not willing to engage in the conversation, nothing is going to change. So I'm very, I'm cautiously optimistic and I hope that the momentum is still here 
after the summer is over. And I try to impress upon the leaders that like one workshop is not going to change anything. Whether it's me or somebody else, you need to be bringing people in to facilitate these continuous conversations. I think that that is really important and people seem like they're starting to get it. So, you know, I'm excited about this moment in time right now. I've never been busy like this. Uh, before since my career started so I, I think it's an exciting moment and I'm trying to take advantage of it and so let's talk about that so like you know again in the past people say don't talk about white privilege don't talk about um, you know black experiences black female experiences talk about gender but don't um, intersect that at all with ethnicity race um, what does it look like now when people hit you up like what are they what are they actually saying so, you know, I get emails primarily and they're like, hey, uh, my company wants to. And, and what's funny, Zach, is that like there's such a sense of urgency now, you know, and these same companies and I'm going to be going to keep it 100,000 percent real. <laughs> Some of the same companies that didn't have money right. uh, once COVID hit magically found the budget. You know, I had things lined up and I, I get it. You know, they came back to me in, in March and April and said, we don't have the budget. Cool. So now in June, y'all found the budget, I guess, <laughs> you know, right. which I'm like, obviously, you're realizing diversity, equity and inclusion is a priority. So it's usually, you know, the requests come in the form of an email. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that people have really been sharing uh, my content on social media. So people often find me either through LinkedIn or through Instagram and they say, Hey, I saw you talk about race and we need this at our company. So when can you find a time to speak or how much do you charge workshops or what do your workshops entail? So, you know, that's pretty much what it seems like. But with some of these requests, it seems like there's such a sense of urgency and that worries me a little bit because I think that it's not like a quick band-aid right I, you know I'm I'm happy to do the workshop I've been doing these workshops I've done many workshops and there I already know the structure and everything however I think that you have to have long-term objectives and I don't know if a lot of these organizations have long-term objectives it just seems like they want to do something so it looks like they're not doing nothing right right what is concerning about that anxiety inducing for me transparently, right, is it is like it's very reactionary. And and it reminds me of Martin Luther King's uh, letter from a Birmingham jail, like that portion where he talks mm-hmm. about the white moderate and like how they're more concerned mm-hmm. about false peace with an absence of justice. And so even now in this moment, I'm like, OK, are y'all just trying to mobilize something really quick just to say that y'all did something so that you don't have uprisings within your companies? Or are mm-hmm. you really looking to create equitable and inclusive working environments, not just for the next couple of days, but for like this, the foreseeable future as your company moves forward in this new normal? Like that's that to me continues to be like my ongoing question. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious. Exactly. Yeah. Like because like even I mean, I've had people reach out talking about, yeah, can you come in? Can you do some unconscious bias? <laughs> no. And that is the worst. I don't think unconscious bias trainings are trash by any means. I think that <laughs> most companies are not doing them effectively. That's like a nice way to say it because I think <laughs> unconscious bias training doesn't do a lot. Hey, yeah. I go through this training and I find out I have a bias against black people. You might take an implicit association test and see, hey, I have a bias toward or against women. 
Right. So what do I do now? It's like, cool, now I recognize my biases, but if there's systems in the organization that allow bias to persist, it doesn't matter that now I know how to um, not say microaggressive statements because there's like bias entrenched and baked into the fabric of the company. Right. Like in the way that they hire employees, that they're using a referral, all of these, or many of these consulting companies, it's all referrals. It's all Jim knows Bob, who knows John, and that's how you get jobs. It's primarily uh, who you know and not what you know. And I think that there is benefits to referral hiring programs and systems, but I think the way that they're currently being done is just like creating this echo chamber of the same types of people. So like I always encourage organizations to look at their systems and say like, are black people being promoted at the same rates as other people? Because it's cool for you to say, but look, no, 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 we have a lot of black people, but they're all in lower level positions in the right. organization. Right. But are they in senior level positions? And if they are, how long are they staying? Because a lot of these tech companies, I love that they're being transparent and putting out these diversity reports, but they're not telling us how many of those black people or those Latinx people or those women are staying in those roles because they're like, look, 13% of our population is black. Yay. That went up 1% from last year. Yay. Like, but it's like, are those the same black people or did you just hire a bunch of new ones? And then those same ones will quit next, you know, like, so I think that looking at why there's this revolving door, particularly of black people, you know, like in the tech industry and in all of these industries, the fact of the matter is that like black people, a lot of us are not, staying in companies and part of the reason a large part i would say is because of the hostile work environments that we're working in 100 percent. i mean so living corporate we've put out a couple of white papers been like there's a there's a few different reports but they're like very rare like to talk about like turnover uh mm-hmm. turnover percentages and like so like we i've yet to see anything that explicitly says the turnover for this group is this i've seen and like we've cited Sources that'll talk about the fact that um, that black and brown turnover is like two or three times higher than their white mm-hmm. parts. But like you're right, like there's no annual reporting that shows, hey, you know, <laughs> our black employees are four times more likely to leave within their first two years than their white counterparts. Like that's not a those rates are never discussed. But you're absolutely right. exactly. I think it's important, and I mean because these companies tout that they're so diverse and I think that that's something important that not just the like we focus so much on the diversity piece that is important to say hey look we actually have diverse representation but also like are they staying because if you're using stock images with black people and that look diverse that make your company look diverse but then I get there and I'm like "Mm, I'm like the only black person that's like false advertising and there's a lot of that going around You know, I know the new buzzword is like performative allyship. And there's a lot of that going around with a lot of different companies that shall remain nameless. (laughs) But um, yeah, I'm glad to see people are really calling them out, these companies out and saying, you posted Black Lives Matter, but you asked us not to wear Black Lives Matter stuff, or you have no black people in senior positions, or you have a hostile work environment where black people don't feel comfortable. So, like, it's cute to, you know, and I, I wrote an article, like, it's cute to post Black Lives Matter. Yeah. But, like, we want to see, like, policy changes. That's, right. that's nice and fine and dandy. And I appreciate your statement because 
I, you know, that's better than your silence, but I want to see more. And I'm glad that people are demanding more of their companies. I wonder, I still don't think that organizations, and your piece was incredible. We're going to make sure that we link it in the show notes for those who didn't see it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. But what I don't think organizations understand is that like, if they come out here really loud externally about all things they're going to do to combat racism and inequity and things and things of that nature but then like internally their policies and their cultures their practices their behaviors don't change like that's going to create more resistance higher turnover mm-hmm. higher disengagement than they had in the first place mm-hmm. and as an employee if i worked in that company i would just be looking like like okay y'all are like not really about that life and i'm not about like exposing a company that I work for unless I feel like I've been completely mistreated. Um, and I, I definitely felt like that in workplaces, but my industry is very small. So I just silently exit a company and I might speak of it, but not give specifics and names and things like that. But I think that you're opening your company up to that type of negative publicity from employees if you're not like authentic in the things that you do. And, and I, I mentioned this before um, in a few uh, speaking engagements I've done, but I had a friend who works at a very well-known consulting firm. She's been there for four years. She belongs to a marginalized group. She's considered brown. And she said that her company has a diverse referral program, but she says since she's been working at the company for the last four years, they've never hired anyone from that diverse referral program. But it's just like, I call it cosmetic diversity where you have something in place just to look like you're doing something. You look like you're actually about that life, but a lot of these companies are not about that life. So I think that that's just not a good look. If you're going to like the talk, you have to also be doing things that show that you're, you're actually putting your, your words and your intentions into action. I agree. And to your point around like negative press or attention it's i think i think also and i don't know if this is generational because even i you know as someone I'm, I'm 30 right so like i'm not young young but i'm not older I'm not mm-hmm. old i probably still don't fully appreciate how easy it is for something to go viral especially something negative but it's like really really easy like there's so many avenues and mechanisms to like share your voice now and mm-hmm. I, I just don't know if organizations appreciate that and the fact that you know, doing that today, like airing things out, like putting people on blast is not an automatic career ender like it might have been like five or six years ago. Like if you mm-hmm. put, if you put somebody on blast now, like that doesn't mean that your career is over. It means you just like you may be actually heralded as a as a hero, depending on how you do. Mm-hmm. It, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. You, no, you're absolutely right. And just like a lot of these racists who say and do things after a year or so when the public forgets, they're able to go and get jobs. The same, I think, can be said for for employees that put their companies on blast because so many things are happening in our lives that we forget. Like, I don't remember all these people's names. Are we still going to remember Amy Cooper? Well, we will because I guess there's a law now with her (laughs) name. But are we going to remember all of the barbecue Beckys, like what their actual names are? Probably not. So I, I do think that you're absolutely right in that companies, I don't think, quite appreciate and understand how easy it is for for people to get information out and just share their story and just share this company has a crappy environment. And you actually shared with me last year that 
internal memo, um, that Medium article that those Facebook, those black, yes. uh, I believe we're all black or somewhere yes. Latinx, yes. Um, Facebook employees wrote about the toxic work culture. Yes. And, you know, th- there's so many avenues to write anonymous memos and things like mm-hmm. that about your company. And, and so that's not the type of press and reputation that you want. No. So I'm really happy that people are like, we need to change. We are really like, I've been getting requests back from like the the most fascinating like industry that I never even expected. Like this person is reaching out and that person is reaching out. Um, a fitness company reached out to me and said that they wanted me to do a webinar. A jewelry company reached out to me. And I was just wow. like, wow, it, it, you know. So it's like it's every industry, it's industry-wide. Um, so, it's it, you know, I think that that has really been interesting to me is that pe- everyone is waking up and saying, whatever industry we're in, this is a problem that is, like, not specific to our industry. It, you know, it, everyone is having these issues and needs to figure out how do we create an environment that is inclusive to black people specifically. Because I think that a lot of times um, the conversation gets watered down and we talk about other groups, but we don't focus specifically on black people and right. black liberation and things like that. And I think that that's a huge part of the reason why we're here is that we have more ease with talking about LGBTQ plus issues or gender issues than we do racial issues. You're absolutely right. And I think a large reason of that is because white people can be women and white people can be mm-hmm. gay, but white people can't be black. And so it's like, yeah. what, is, what does it look like to like really shift and like have authentic conversations that center marginalized people? And it's interesting. I was talking to some colleagues um, a little while ago and was talking about the concept of like decentering whiteness. And they were like, well, what do you mm-hmm. mean? And I'll, a large way that we center whiteness is just in our language. Right. Like a lot of the terms and things that we've created. Mm-hmm we create those terms to avoid blackness and to avoid the reality of harm. So it's like, we'll have these conversations and we'll talk about, you know, we'll say bias when it's like, then and bias is, it fits technically, but it's like, what you're also talking about is like white supremacy or just racism. Yeah. yeah. Like, like we're not talking about, yeah. it, this isn't like a, like bias, bias softens it sometimes. Like in certain ways, mm-hmm. bias softens in the same way that like, you know, it's not like I have a bias towards Coca-Cola versus rc cola like no i i genuinely think this person is less than me and by by relation because of that i treat this person differently like that's a that's different um and then you know even yeah so anyway not to not to go on a rant so i do think this segues well though into your podcast dirty diversity yeah (laughs) yeah um so i actually started the podcast uh during black history and it was important uh, for me to not only start it during Black History Month, but like the first episode was ironically like why your black employees are leaving, because I don't think that we're talking about these things. And I think that we conflate people are with black people and we lump everyone together. And I think for the sake of like conversation, it's easier to just say black and brown people. And it is because your closeness to blackness will impact your experiences you know and there's latinx people who are stopped as much as us when they're driving who experience racism just like us and things like that so um 
you know, I think it's easy to say that, but I I think it's important to put a particular focus on the unique experiences of black people. And I don't think we do that enough. And when I'm asked to do these trainings, there isn't a focus on when when that is the problem, Zach. It's that you're not able to retain black employees. They're leaving, but you want me to come in and do an inclusion training. Your problem is not inclusion. The problem is that you're not creating an environment where black people feel like they're valued and they matter so we need to focus on that specific problem and I think that watering it down is what we've been doing for so long and that hasn't produced positive results or changes so we have to just be bold and call it out for what it is and I'm so excited because I feel like I have been censoring myself I censor uh, censor myself on social media a lot because my colleagues follow me Um, So I can't be like white supremacy. I can't be using that language a lot because, you know, my colleagues call me and all of these things. And I know in my field um, that's going to get you that sort of thing is is, um, not going to sit well with. But now I feel like I can say what I really want to say, especially in the workshop. And I think that that's going to make people comfortable. But for me, my goal isn't to make people feel happy. My goal is to help you change and help you create better organizations. And the way to do that is like, I'm going to have to say things that are uncomfortable and you're going to have to evaluate your role and, and how you've contributed to inequitable systems and oppression and things like that. And for a lot of people, this is the first time that they've ever taken a look in the mirror. And just in speaking with different white women, they've said that to me where they said millennials, you know, like they're young, they're, And they're like, this is the first time I've really taken an honest look at myself. And even though I have black friends and, you know, I dated a black guy, uh, you know, maybe I have white supremacist views. And it's like, yes, you do. You do. Every white person who's born and raised in the U.S. has internalized white supremacist views. And a lot of it is just baked into our American fabric. So it's like recognizing that and then using your privilege and your power to impact change. I think that really leads us well into the book that you recently, by the time this, I think by the time this airs, it'll, it'll be published. So like, like let's talk about Yay. Yes. And thank you again for the opportunity to just share my work with your audience. And it was important to create the book, but now I'm already thinking of number two and how it needs to focus specifically on race. But so I wrote Dirty Diversity as like a very simple, practical guide um, and implementable ways uh, that you can create more inclusion and equity into your workplace. And things that I've learned in the years that I've been, I've been consulting now like for two years or so. And I've learned so much. When I started doing these diversity workshops, I knew nothing. I didn't know anyone personally that was close to me that did any sort of, I I didn't know consultants like Mm. that, you know, just people I went to school with who work at large consulting firms, but I didn't know independent consultants. So I had to figure a lot of things out on my own. I had to bump my head multiple times. So the book is written in three different sections. And the first section is for managers. And it's things that are so simple and easy to implement into your workplace. You might say, why didn't we think about this? Or why haven't we been doing this? But it's simple ways to create more inclusion in your workplace. The next section is for people who do diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting and things that I learned from creating workshops and 
and ways that you can improve the effectiveness of the workshops. But one of the things that I emphasize is that one workshop or one training is not going to make a change. You have to encourage the organizational leaders to do multiple trainings and multiple workshops. And then the third section is written for employees and just like simple ways and simple things you can include in your workplace to create more inclusion as an employee. Because I get that question a lot where people say, how do I get my manager to care about diversity? And how do I get my manager to? <laughs> and I, I think that it's not just getting manager to care and to, it's, it's understanding the value of what this can bring into your workplace. But there are things that you can do yourself. Like, um, I, you know, I talk about an employee book club. And that's something like super easy and, and maybe petitioning your employer to sponsor an Audible membership because everybody doesn't read. For me, most of my books, I consume them now on Audible. So like if you have an Audible membership, you don't have an excuse now to say, oh, I didn't have time to read. You could like walk, take a 30 minute walk and listen to a chapter of a book. So it's very easy now to me to like for things as an employee for you to implement into your workplace. So I, I felt like this book was really necessary and I didn't had no idea all of these events would be transpiring right now so that I, I feel like it's even more relevant. Um, and there's so many in the book. I talk about some really simple things, low cost or no cost things that you can implement to create more inclusion. And I think that there's a perception that you have to spend a lot of money, um, which I do think you should be adequately compensating your consultants who come in. Um, and a lot of times people ask me to come in and they expect it to be free. So I think that that is part of the problem. But there are things you can do, like having a panel in your workplace is something that is a, a really simple way to create inclusion, but you probably didn't think about. Inviting someone like you, Zach, to come in to speak with employees on a panel just about equity and inclusion and, and um, different things like that is just like an event that your your company can host. And oftentimes on panels, people are donating time or, you know, giving of their time for free. So like there's so many simple ways. It doesn't have to be this like extravagant um, sort of like training program that can help you to create equity and inclusion. So that's pretty much like the goal is it's, it's a simple read. It's like a little over 100 pages. And I think it's just filled with things that you can do, you can easily implement into your workplace to create more equity and inclusion. I mean, I'm excited. I've already got a copy, okay? So, <laughs> well, gonna... th thank you so much, Zach. No, no, thank you. And so we're going to make sure we put a link in the show notes um, for everybody to get a copy as well. And the book's title, though, is the book's title Dirty Diversity? Yeah, so... Same title as the podcast. The reason I titled it Dirty Diversity is because diversity has definitely become a dirty word. People are not into having diversity trainings. There's a misconception about what diversity is, what it brings to an organization. Um, there's still diversity resistance and pushback. Um, so when you say we're going to have a diversity training, people in their minds have an idea of what that is. There's a lot of research that indicates diversity trainings are not effective. So I really was kind of um, focused on like what are some things in addition to workshops and trainings that you can, um, what are some ways you can create more inclusion? Because I, I kind of resent the fact that I've seen this meme going around um, and I disagree. 
I think it's cute and it's funny, but it's like the revolution will not be in diversity and inclusion training. And I disagree <laughs> with that. I think I have you seen that meme before? I, I have. I don't and I, was I, like, I, I hear you. I, I was like, I don't agree fully. I think when done effectively workshops, if, if they're done, if you're having workshops every month, in addition to a multitude of other things I, like I think, mentorship programs, I think, I think, I think they can be effective. I agree. I think authentic, intentional workshops paired with other uh, systemic solutions are effective. I think I think most people, when they think about these workshops, they're not talking about the types of work that you do or the type of work that like Dr. Aaron Thomas at Upwork that, mm-hmm. that she does. Thinking more about like the, you know, the very um, white comfort centered um, mm-hmm. diverse, diversity of thought type workshops. Those are not going to lead us to, to no revolution. But I, I get I you about, you know, intentional, intelligent, competent mm-hmm. um, workshops, along with other things are very effective. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's my that was my thought. I was like, you know, everybody's kind of, um, you know, and I try not to curse, but everyone's kind of like crapping on diversity and inclusion trainings. And I do think that in itself, one training is not going to change anything. But yeah, the problem is most companies don't even have ongoing trainings or workshops. Right. They have right. one once a year. If that um, a lot of them have never had any sort of training yet every year they have sexual harassment training which I find to be interesting, <laughs> you know, I, you know, but well, it, it, um, it's, yeah, tip, so it's I, typically to check a box, right. From like a legal perspective, like that's typically what they mm-hmm. do. Or, so they can at least say, yeah, well, we do this and we do it regularly. You know, it's not really about any type of behavioral change. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like to check a box. So really like how to overcome this, this idea that diversity has become a dirty word. What are some really simple things? And and I'm telling you, it's such a practical, simple, I'm not using any like jargon that you wouldn't be able to understand. It's very like a simple guide. You open it, you read it and say, oh, this is something like so simple. Why aren't we already doing this in our company? But you'd be surprised to me, like something like a blind resume system. When people tell me they can't find black candidates, can't find black engineers, I'm like, do you have a blind resume system? And they're like, no, what's that? And that to me is something that I think it's so simple, but a lot of people just don't know. So that's really like what the purpose of me writing this book was like simple things that you think a lot of people know, but they might not. And it's just like so simple to implement into your workplace. It's not complicated at all outside of just workshops that you can do to create more inclusion. Man, this has been super dope. What else do we need to talk about, Dr. Gasman? Because I want to make sure I give you your space. So, so much. About- there's, <laughs> there's a, you know, there's, there's, a, there's so much. All the performative allyship. Oh, yo, let's the, let's go. You know. Let's go in on that real quick, actually. Yeah, no, this is good. So uh, side note, y'all, for those who are kind of behind the scenes, typically I send out like these very detailed questions before each podcast. But, you know, for people that like, you know, we kick it or like we we kind of get each other's style mm-hmm. and energy. We kind of freestyle. So this is actually a freestyle. y'all. That's why we like, we're actively trying to think about what we got <laughs> next. We got a little yeah. bit more time. So yo, I, pro- I really appreciate that. And no. we'll talk about um how to support each other after we get into the performative allyship. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, okay. So this, this performative allyship stuff is crazy, right? Like, I'm so tired of these people. And it's crazy. You know what's really wild is that what we what we don't talk about is, like, just... We don't talk about this enough, I think, just, like, culturally. is like, the importance of authenticity, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I've had people who have harmed me with their racist behaviors mm-hmm. hit me up 
now talking about, hey, what do you think about? Like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> why are you talking to me? And why would the right. first thing when you reach out to me not be about the harm that you cause, that you know you cause? Like, these are like race behaviors, right? Like, these are like things that you gravely harmed me personally and professionally, right? Like, it's not like you walked by, you touched my hair and said, oh, this is like my little pet lamb's hair back at my Mima's house. Like, no, this is, you harmed me. And so it's it's wild, like, we have just the, like, how members of the majority go ahead i know it's just like i'm getting a lot of people hitting me up like uh, that are you know those people that are in the periphery of your life they're not in your life but they're just like they're watching from the i get a lot of those and there are people who've actively done things to prevent me from being successful and they reach out to me or on the other end People are asking of me, and I won't get into too many details just, you know, to protect, you know, protect myself. But (laughs) there's people who are actively asking things of me without consideration of the events that transpired. You're asking for Mm. projects of me and things like that. And I'm like, I'm not in the mental state. And I've had to send emails like that where I'm like, I'm not in the mental state to produce what you're asking me to produce because there are black people being killed and slaughtered uh, videos you know and i just and it's oh my gosh you're so right i didn't even realize it oh my gosh like it's all because of trump this would have never happened if obama was president and it's like "Mm." i mean it did happen when obama was president (laughs) yeah i was just like okay but thanks like so I, I get those where people are completely like oblivious to what's going on and what's happening and how maybe the black person I know is impacted by this. So maybe I shouldn't be asking for X, Y, and Z. And and, and I've had to let people know. Uh, but I've also seen, yet, yeah, like you said, people who've actively caused harm to you. Hey, how are you? Without any acknowledgement <laughs> of what was done, what was said, right. your role and how you contributed (laughs) it's just like it's just the cycle lots of snakes in the grass a lot of snakes in the grass i think also like just the psychological like the and like i don't even think like because of that like even just consider the the additional mental and emotional toll you put on that other person when you do that so like now as the person Mm -hmm. who's receiving your random message after a year or after six months or however long now i have to do the i have to do the mental calculus if i'm even going to respond and then make mm-hmm. a decision if I respond, how vulnerable do I want to make myself in responding to you, knowing that if I respond to you and you get upset, it could harm me even more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and it's exactly it's just so, so that that alone is like, oh, such a rant, such a rant worthy topic. I, I, I do think exactly. To, I do think that it's like when we talk about allyship and it's like I just wonder I just I don't I'm not curious about it. I, I this is my belief. I don't believe that members of the majority have the capacity to like really deal with being explicitly anti-racist for more than like like for a sustained amount of time. Right? Like you're already <laughs> saying on Twitter, people are getting burnt out like oh, I know that you guys are probably tired, but here are some tips that you can <laughs> right. <laughs> Make sure I you drink your boba tea. Got- no and you're absolutely right and it's like it's exhausting in that and i know a lot of white people are confused because in one breath we say you should be checking on your black friends but in another breath 
it's like we getting binged and pinged and all of this like <laughs> left and right and then you keep having to revisit the conversation of like you know why aren't you answering my text messages i i hit you up to check on you cuz i don't want to keep talking about the state like i appreciate right. that you reached out. i don't i'm not in the mental state i want to go on a bike ride right. and just have the sun on my face and not think about black people being killed right. i just want to listen to a podcast while riding a bike sometimes you just don't we don't want to keep talking about it keep talking about it and what i found is that it's interesting companies want to give us space to talk about it without um, asking us if this is something we want to take part in a close friend of mine works so in a healthcare system mm. and she said her company was like <clears throat> hey can you be on this panel it's all black people talking about their feelings and it's like i don't know what like why do i got it you don't even act like you it's really like hey we want you to be part of this panel no i don't want to i had another friend who was asked to talk about white privilege and she's like this isn't even my scope in my domain i'm in pr why are you asking me to talk about <laughs> no. white privilege this no. isn't even like what just cuz i'm a black woman you want oh yeah have her talk about she was like what and i had to send out an email to somebody that asked me to be part of a panel and i didn't want to be mean but i was like when you're asking me to regurgitate and and keep repeating why i feel bad as a person living in america like you should be paying me you right. know what i'm saying like and i know that sounds like nope. it's not a matter of being all about the money but it's a matter of like this is emotional labor and this takes an emotional toll on me to be on 80 million 11 panels right. talking about why what i feel as a black person and all of this and it's just like the idea of paying a black person doesn't often cross these people's minds who are organizing these events and I'm just like at this point like my mind is so busy with these workshops and also I teach as well so right. it's like with teaching and doing the workshops and, and promoting a book right. that is like I'm not going to just be on a panel talking about how sad I am and my experiences as a black person there's so many think pieces online with people giving this information to you already you don't need me on a panel to talk about what it feels like to be black <laughs> No, so, you, you know, you I and I I hope I'm not being too like, you know, too raw. Like, but it's just no, that's how I've been feeling lately. I see where you're going and I will meet you there. So, look, <laughs> folks who are asking, please stop asking us to talk about our feelings for free. I, I need y'all to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And many of you yeah. listen to the podcast, right? Like, and I say you, I mean <laughs> aspiring allies and uh, white executives. Mm -hmm. Stop. Now, look, especially and, and not that like, not to be classes, but especially don't be asking a bunch of degreed people to be doing it like this. That's crazy. You have people out here who have whole doctorates in sociology and psychology and you're asking them to come to these panels for free. It's like, no, like I have the Western colonized expertise from an mm -hmm. actual institution and couple that with the expertise of my lived experience. If you ask me for my time, I need you to pay me. Don't even ask. I've had people ask me for my time to do things and I'm like first of all do you understand how much like how, like I'm going to feel drained after this because I'm going to talk about right. all these things and no one's going to mm -hmm. come back to me with like any tangible resources or support it's just going to be me yeah. like giving out I'm going to And just it's be like you have a podcast where you talk about all these things you invite people to talk you have <laughs> and then it's like on top of that you write about these things right. on top of that you work full time on top of that you're a father right. and you have a wife like it's just right. like y'all got to think about all of these things it's just like hey can you explain to me like 
no, no. I, I can't. I I'm can't. sorry. I can't. <laughs> and, and shameless plug, like, to your point, like, living corporate, it's not like we're just, like, a random podcast. Like, you can go on our website and type in anything, and a bunch of stuff will pop up. Like, we have a whole database. Mm-hmm. So you can educate exactly. yourself. And, like, there's other free resources. Like, I think it's so inappropriate during this time. Like, going back to what you said earlier about organizations, again, white leadership who have either, like, intentionally or unintentionally, like, been the cause for people to exit their places of work are now like sending out these emails with a bunch of different options to have quote unquote real talk sessions and like who who made you a luminary on the subject one but then two like why you just presume that I even want to do this but the 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 challenge Dr. Gassim is like there's also like the reality which we we don't talk about enough and like shout out to Brittany J. Harris of the Winners Group I see you she talked about it like explicitly this was some, some months ago about the fact mm-hmm. that like power is like the silent P in D E and I, right? Like it's like we don't talk about the mm-hmm. fact that like, yo, if somebody like a senior executive sends out something to talk, have one of these conversations, there's gonna be a certain percentage of marginalized people who feel pressured to join it simply because the person who sent out the invite is in power. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a power dynamic that we don't want to address. And also when you ask people to do things, like like nine times out of ten the black and brown folks you ask to do this type of work or like to randomly jump in this, it's not even their expertise. They're going to feel pressure to say yes, because you're in charge. And then when they show up to do whatever that you want them to talk about, white privilege, their own lived experience, whatever, they're going to be pressured to not be as honest as they would even like to be because they know mm-hmm. that they might get fired or there may be opportunities withheld from them if they say the wrong thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm actually doing a workshop tomorrow. And the two um, individuals reached out to me to do the workshop. They had told me they don't want to be part of the facilitation um, because there are there's 500 people who are part of this workshop. And they're worried because in their industry, it's, of course, not what you know, it's who you know. Right. And I sympathize with them a hundred thousand percent because I'm still, you know, I work in an institution and, and I can't fully say, I can't go out and jump on a limb and say everything that I would want to say because of that power piece. And because I know that there's still many people who are uncomfortable when you're speaking the truth and when you're trying to. So it's like you can only say but so much. And unfortunately, it's like. We need the raw and we need the to the point. And I'm glad people are more open to that right now. But it's still like a concern for us and for people who do this work. And, you know, even you as a as a um, not only an, an employee, but someone who is in the podcast space. I'm sure there's there's topics you can venture into, but not too, too Ooh, much. Because Dr. you Gasson. don't, <laughs> you know, Ooh, cause it's like, I know my audience, <laughs> I, you know, I there's stuff. I'm sure you, there's a lot of stuff you want to say, but you just like, listen. One day I'm gonna have a tell-off. One day, no, I was I literally tweeted this the other day. I said one day I'm gonna let these ads fly. Like I'm gonna mm-hmm. really talk to y'all. But no, you're absolutely right. Like you know the power. I love dynamic, that. Yeah, it dictates like literally everything, right? Like so, like you know, I talk differently now because I work. I have a I have a nine to five job. Like the day that I do live in corporate full time, I'm still not gonna be able to talk as free mm-hmm. because I'm gonna have clients. And my clients need to know and respect the fact that, you know, I won't air them out one day. You know what I mean? So like, so like the only, Mm -hmm. like the only time that I think you ever really hear like black people speak the truth, like unabashed truth is like when they have 
a lot of money, right? Like, so you think about like, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about like the Will Smiths and Kevin Hart's and Dave Chappelle's and Eddie Murphy's of the world. Like, no, there's also folks who just don't care at all. And like those voices are needed, but it's just like, I can't shame people for not being 100,000% raw all the time when like our survival is predicated upon some degree of white comfort. It just is. We can't just say, Mm -hmm. we can't speak the truth like we want to like i think i believe i speak the truth pretty consistently like don't get me wrong like but there are certainly like 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 we're i'm halfway joking about is like there are things that i would like to be much more explicit about but Mm -hmm. i can't you know especially i have a daughter you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you gotta be Mm -hmm. you have to be careful um so let's talk about this let's talk about supporting each other during this time so we're talking about like the emotional labor that we, we sometimes get pressured into performing or just the increased emotional labor during this time, but also just the general amount of labor that just in being black and brown in majority white spaces. When you asked or when you kind of suggested talking about supporting one another, like what comes to mind for you? So many things. So I, I think that the beautiful thing about this moment and um, is that I'm just it just reinforces that we got to. And the people that, you know, I think that besides the, the Candace Owens and some oh of these gosh, people out here that maybe don't again. have us. <laughs> I'm sorry. Besides some of these, you know, these people, I think that for the most part, we got us. And the community that we're building and that we built and, and the support that I feel from my fellow black people just makes me really proud to be black. And I have to say that. In a lot of the, in April, I was offering these complimentary um, workshops because I was transitioning from in-person trainings and workshops to online, and I was acclimating and getting myself used to Zoom. So I was like, no, I was like, if your your company wants a complimentary workshop, just reach out. And let me tell you, I did seven complimentary workshops that month, and all of the people that reached out to me were Black women. Wow. I love that Black women are always always at the forefront of putting other we're always like i feel like we have such big hearts and we're always trying to like save the world and people need to listen to us more but i just think that in a moment like this the the support and the lottery that i'm seeing amongst black people but particularly amongst black women is just what like warms my heart and and reminds me why despite all of the bs and what we're going through i'm so proud to be a black person and to be a black woman so just the supporting each other, supporting black businesses and things like that. Just reaching out to your black friends. I think one thing that I love about one of the many things I love about us is like, we're going to have fun and find entertainment in anything. And I've been like, <laughs> we've been crying a lot, but I just find that we're just, we make anything into like something funny and into a joke. And just like the, after the verses with Beanie Man and Bounty Killer, I was just yes. like so entertained by the so, memes so and the gifs. And, and I was just like, I love us. Like we are just so funny. And we're just like, so that's, I think like the fact that us coming together and just laughing and, and doing things that bring us joy. And, yeah. just, you know, just the, the community, I think right now is just, we're building that and we're creating these groups. And so I think that um, we should all be doing one thing that makes us feel joy. And whether that's like meeting up with a friend, grabbing some ice cream, riding a bike, I've been trying to do that more and more and just like supporting each other. Um, I have friends that reach out to me and say, hey, I want to bring you into my company. And it's like just that support of like, I see you, I see the work that you're doing and I'm trying to put you on. 
is I think what we need more of and what I've been seeing a lot. And I just love that. Man, I love it, too. Um, And, you know, with that being said, please, everybody, if you haven't yet, make sure that you get a copy of Dirty Diversity. Dr. Gassums. It's Thank your first, you so much. It's Doc. your first published book, right? Yes, my very first published book. So I'm awaiting. It should oh. be. It is going to be available Juneteenth on June 19th. Mm. Uh, on both the ebook and the paperback will be available on Amazon. But I'm also awaiting um, Audible approval because I uh, recorded the audio book. So I'm oh, just wow. waiting on that process now. Hopefully, it'll all be good by June 19th. But yeah. I think by the time this uh, episode drops that'll be available via audible as well well that's dope and yeah no we're, we'll make sure that we you know we we um, signal boost any of the uh, promotions and advertising for it on juneteenth and then we'll also make sure y'all check out dr gassum's dirty diversity podcast so dr gassum like you know what i'm saying like she's she's way more fancy than me so her her guests i mean I, we have great guests like don't get me wrong we have amazing guests like so let, let me not play but I'm just saying. Yeah, she's you a, guys have amazing, we have amazing dope, guests. We have dope guests, but I'm saying your guests have nothing to, to sniff at. You know what I'm saying? So, like, make sure y'all check out Dr. Gassum. Um, you know, the breath of, Thank you so much, Zach. No. I really appreciate <laughs> Thank you for amplifying our voices no, and no trying to use your platform to put more of us on. I think that that's an inspiration to me, and that's what I think we should all be doing is using our, our platforms and our power to put other people on, um, other, you know, our people on, our, <laughs> really. No, I feel you. But um, <laughs> thank you so much, Zach, and I hope you have a wonderful uh, rest of your weekend. Yo, same to you. Listen, y'all, this has been uh, Zach with Living Corporate. You know, we we have these conversations weekly. Um, you want, so, so, again, this might be your first time listening to Living Corporate, so as a reminder... Or as a as an FYI, um, we have Real Talk Tuesdays. That's when we have these like you know one on one conversations. We then have Tristan's Tips on Thursdays, and then we have the Link Up with Letitia or See It to Be It um, with Amy C. Weininger um, on Saturdays. Like those kind of interchange, and so we have three essentially three different series a week. Um, and so make sure you chat. Uh, we're all over Beyonce's internet. You know, just type in Living Corporate, we're gonna pop up. Uh, and then, um, yeah, you've been uh, listening to Dr. Janice Gassum, shoot, public speaker, entrepreneur, <laughs> educator, podcaster, and writer of Dirty Diversity. That's also the podcast. Make sure y'all check out all the links in the show notes. Till next time, peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.